How are we doing? <laughs> good, good, good. I am a little bit tired, but um, please bear with me. I'm going to start with a question. Uh, have you guys ever been in the scenario where maybe you're in an argument and you had like the best comeback for what they were saying, but it was like the next day or the next week? Am I not alone on this? You know, you're in the thick of the argument, and you're maybe tongue-tied, or, or just words are escaping you. You're clearly not thinking straight. This seems to happen to me all the time with somebody in particular, somebody that can really row me up, you know, and I'm not talking about my spouse, so. <laughs> I'm talking about my dad. Yeah, for me, it's my dad. You see, when we're in the same room together for more than like an hour at a time, we, good money, so if you want to place a bet, good money says that we're going to have some sort of debate, okay? And I'm telling you, it's about like the deeper things in life, okay? Um, my poor, long-suffering wife, it's funny because we were like dating for three weeks or something like that, right? And uh, I got a call from my boss. I had to go up uh, to corporate, um, to Albany, New York at the time, where my parents lived. My dad worked for the same company, and uh, my now wife, Chapel, she hadn't ever been around me and my parents, and, and uh, so she had never experienced um, the pleasure of the one-hour rule. <laughs> and so we got in a car, and we thought it was the perfect opportunity, right? So... Um, we got in the car, the trip was on the company, and we drove up there. And sure enough, um, she got to experience this, this thing. And, you know, there's two adjectives, I would say, that describe my family that I've heard my whole life. And that's one, we're the late Lukes. Okay, anywhere we go, everybody knows we're going to be showing up late, 30 minutes late. Maybe an hour late. We're the late loops. The other adjective used to describe my family is the loud loops. So I bet it doesn't take much searching to, uh, to determine which of those adjectives me and my dad deploy whenever we're in the thick of a debate. And I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to get into what we were debating about. Actually... I mean, I guess, I guess. Okay, it's not important, but I'm going to tell you guys anyway, okay? All right. I was defending the sanity of my wife, okay? She had just watched. It was 11 p.m., first of all. And she had just watched the five-and-a-half-hour version of Pride and Prejudice for the first time. And my dad had watched it a million times. He probably has the entire thing memorized. But he was sitting there at 11 p.m. grilling her, about the movie. So, I mean, of course, I had to step in, right? And then the other, the other argument, there was two on this trip. Excuse me. The other argument was whether or not, I mean, I'm telling you guys, this is really deep, okay? Whether or not it was right or wrong for you and me, probably not me, but you, to shop at Victoria's Secret. And so... We're in this debate, and I have, and my dad uh, calls Victoria's Secret 
Victoria has no secrets. So the entire time we're talking about Victoria's secret, he's calling it Victoria has no secrets. And yeah, it's, it's I mean, I'm telling you the deeper things, right? So just know, yes, it was disrespectful 20-year-old Josh, okay? But just know, I was defending your right as a child of God to shop for overpriced underwear, okay? And I was defending my wife's, my beautiful wife, Chapel, her emotional and mental well-being, okay? But as I was saying, before Simon interrupted me with his eyes, I was saying that words are hard to come by sometimes for me. And you might be like me, right? Some of us don't have the luxury of being quick-witted or storing vast amounts of knowledge in our brain that we can pull out at any given moment. But when we think of that specific answer that we wish we thought about the day before or the week before, we know that if we had thought about it in that moment, that it would have changed everything because we would have won that debate. And still others of us, others of us, and, and me at times too, I don't have any problem finding words. And that's what gets me in trouble. I think no matter which camp you're in, whether or not you don't have an issue finding words or do, uh, we all have moments where we regret what we say. In the title of tonight's message, we're continuing our, our kindness series tonight. The title of tonight's message is The Words of My Mouth. And the scripture that we're going to operate out of tonight is Proverbs 18.21. It says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And I've been hearing from the Lord lately about the words of my mouth. And so, God, I ask you to arrest my words, that you would speak through me, that you would speak life, edify, encourage tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In James chapter 3, you might, be, you might have heard this before, but the tongue is likened to a rudder on a ship. Like, so you have a large ship and a small rudder. And the idea here is that the tongue is this small thing that has a large impact, right? And then we also see in Matthew chapter 15 where the tongue or our words are actually linked to our heart because it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so for how much I regret at times that I don't have the words to say, um, or I might say too many words to the detriment of those around me and to myself, I believe that the Holy Spirit can transform my mouth and your mouth to speak the truth and love, to speak hope and kindness and peace to everyone around us. So I'm going to give you three things tonight, three ways that the Holy Spirit transforms us in our words, our tongue to bring life to ourselves and those around us. And this this list is by no means exhaustive, um, but I hope that you'll lean in. I hope you'll be encouraged. I hope that you'll be equipped with these truths. The first way the Spirit of God transforms us to speak life is that the Holy Spirit gives us words of encouragement. 
And I think Acts 2 is so awesome with this, right? You see, what Acts 2 is about is it details what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came rushing in with the sound of a mighty wind and tongues of fire came down on each and every person in the house. Uh, there were like three, there were more than 3,000 people there because th- there were actually 3,000 people that day through that experience that were moved by the Holy Spirit and actually joined what they called the way. And these people were from all over, right? It wasn't just the Jews of that city, of that town. It was people from all over coming to visit the temple. Um, And they all, or a lot of them spoke different languages. But that day, everybody heard the wonders of God declared in their own language. You see, when the truth and love is spoken... The Holy Spirit gives people the message, okay, that they need to hear. And he meets them right where they're at. They didn't have to learn another language. They heard their language. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Eagerly desire and ask for the gift of prophecy. Ooh, prophecy. Sounds mystical. But basically what it says is this, is that God will give us the words to say. He will help us meet people exactly where they are, exactly what they need to hear, to encourage and edify and comfort them. So instead of forming judgments, God help me, instead of the endless critiquing, what if we were a people that asked God what he actually had to say about others, about our kids, about our spouse, about her and him, about the person on the internet. God, is there anything that I could say, that I could deliver, any sort of encouragement? Lord, speak through me. And the fact is that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. And this is for free. Sometimes a word of encouragement could just be, I'm sorry, man, that was wrong. The second way, the Spirit of God transforms us to speak life is this. He gives us boldness to speak the truth. Not this past weekend, but the weekend before, um, I was at Costco any shoppers at Costco in this place? Hello. Um, I was at Costco with, uh, with my family, and normally it's just me that goes in. Um, it gets really hard to take the girls in, and they're kind of into everything. They're at that age. I know that you that don't have kids are judging me, but you that have kids are like, man, I wish I could do that. Um, <laughs> no, but really, it's, I, I took Claire in, our youngest at the time. She's three years old. And uh, I think that there's like this unspoken code at Costco because I don't know about you, if you guys have noticed this, but whenever you go to like where the bread is um, and, you know, you walk in and it's kind of over there diagonal to the left, where the bread is, it gets super quiet because all the samples are at the, at the front of the aisle, right? 
And so people kind of hang out at the front of the aisle because, I mean, the samples are kind of like lunch on Saturday, if you know what I mean. So everybody's out there. The hustle and the bustle is out at the front. But in the back, near the bread, it gets super quiet. And so, like, you might see a couple, and they're, like, doing, like, sign language. Because it's so quiet, you feel like you're in a library. They're, like, picking stuff up, like, you know, not even talking, but just communicating silently. And then there's Clara, okay? My three-year-old beautiful daughter. You see, she's so bold that she proceeds to sing at the top of her lungs. Jesus loves me, this I know. The whole song, over and over again, belting it out. So I'm over there, I'm like... Okay, looking around, trying to speed up, like ducking. I don't know if I should cover her mouth or not, you know. But why? Isn't that a picture of what we should be? Oh, that the Spirit of God would fill us with boldness to boldly proclaim the love of Jesus to others around us. You see, in Acts 4... We get that picture because there's an incredible story in Acts 4. Uh, It actually starts in Acts 3, though. It's Peter and John. They're on their way to the temple. And there's this, this lame beggar. He's in his 40s. He's been lame since birth. And he's carried there every single day to beg for money. And Peter and John walk next to him. And Peter says... Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. So there's this huge commotion because this guy, he's been lame since, since birth, and he's been there begging, but now he, he's walking around, and so people are crowding around. People are wondering what's happening. There's a giant commotion. And so what happens? Peter and John are actually arrested because the leaders, the religious leaders, wanted to stop the move of God. And so they end up being taken in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. And they begin to boldly proclaim the truth in love about Jesus. And so boldly that the council, the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin are, are kind of dumbfounded. They're like, oh, these guys, I mean, they're, they're not even taught how... They're so articulate, they, they know so much, how can this be? And so they're, they're left speechless. So what happens is, is they end up threatening them, taking them aside, threatening them, you know, we're going to do this if you keep going, so stop. And then they let them go. So Peter and John go back to where the other believers were gathered, praying for their release, and... Peter and John begin to tell them about what happened, that they were threatened, that they were told, we can't do this anymore. So what did they do? They started to pray. But their prayer wasn't for help to kind of fly under the radar or that God would somehow miraculously uh, blind and, and make deaf the leaders of the day. No, it was for boldness. 
And it was actually for God to continue to do miracles, signs and wonders, even more than what he had already done. The very thing that threw them in prison, they were begging God to do more. And you see, I wonder what would happen in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families, if we prayed for boldness to speak the truth in love. I think the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to ask. You don't have to have vast amounts of knowledge or, or know so much scripture to start. You know, it, it could be as simple as, look, man, I believe I was put here for a purpose, to make a difference in the world. And I believe the best way to make a difference in the world is by loving the people around me. And let me tell you about a, this guy named Jesus who was the greatest example of love. And then you let the Holy Spirit do its thing. You see, this is our mission. Yeah, we could go home, watch Netflix. We could do whatever we want. But this is the mission. This is our calling because there's so many people that are hurting and dying. And they're right next to us. They're sitting next to us at our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Will we ask for boldness to proclaim the truth and love about Jesus? And the third way, the Spirit of God transforms us to speak life. And this is my last point tonight. We're going to have a time of worship, a time where we can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a powerful and moving way. But listen in close at this last point. The last point is, is that the Holy Spirit gives us weapons of offense. And I believe that through the Holy Spirit that we can actually devastate the enemy using our tongues. But before we examine how we can use our tongues to devastate the enemy, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss how we allow words to affect us and be spoken in our lives. You see, we have an enemy that is battling for our minds. In fact, Scripture says that he's a deceiver. And, and in 1 Peter 5.8, it says to be on guard, that the devil is walking around disguised as a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And as a believer, we don't have to be afraid, Okay? We don't have to fear him because Jesus has already secured the victory. However, we need to be ready for him. We need to know what he's capable of. And we need to know his tactics. It says be alert. And from the beginning, I think we all can see that this creature, the devil is a deceiver. He's a liar. We see that from the start. We see that in Genesis, and we see that throughout all of Scripture. And he uses the same tactics that he did back then today because they're effective. You see, because Satan understands this. He understands that if he can attack our hearts, 
with his lies and he's successful, that he can start to impact our hopes and dreams. And then once he has our hopes and dreams, he can begin to steer us off course from our purpose. And once he has us out of the will of God, he can begin to poke at our feelings and our emotions with his lies. And then once he has our, fe- our feelings and emotions, he, be- he can begin to impact our conscience, the very thing that the Holy Spirit transforms and uses to speak to us and guide us. See, this, I think, would be the major takeaway of this point, is that the devil speaks lies, and lies are his greatest power and his best trick against believers. I love the stanza of a hymn by Martin Luther. It says this, it's from the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What is that little word? It's liar. Many times we don't vocalize. We don't realize the power of vocalizing and knowing the truth. And so he begins to trade the truth for a lie. And until we begin to identify that it is a lie, he will continue to be successful in his attacks. Know this, that in Philippians 4.8, what does it say? Some of you know it, I'm sure. Philippians 4.8 starts out, whatever is true, and then it goes down a list that says noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. But the first thing is truth. And in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God, what is the first thing? It's the belt of truth. There's power in truth. There's power in discerning right from wrong, truth from a lie. And when we call the devil the little liar that he is, he has to shut up and leave. Because there's proof in the truth. You see, in Acts 4, when we talked about that earlier, in Acts 4, when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and they spoke the truth of God, what happened? The Sanhedrin were speechless. When we speak the truth, it shuts the mouth of the enemy. And along with the truth, one more thing. We see in Scripture that there's power in praise. 
There's a story in Scripture. It, it's chronicled. It's an actual historical event that happened where Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he had an army, enemy, I'm sorry, that had three armies coming against him. So they were all lined up. There was three separate armies that were all trying to attack him at once in coordination with each other. And so what did he do? He cried out. He said, God, I have no idea what to do right now. But I'm going to rely on you. And just know that the response from God was this. He said, the victory is the Lord's. He said, go down and meet them in battle. And I want you to know that we have the same victory today. The same victory that he had physically with the armies coming against him, we have spiritually in the heavenly realms fighting the enemy. He said, go down. Meet them in battle. So what did they do? They fell down on their faces and they worshiped God. For a victory that they couldn't even see. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, it says this. It says, then he consulted. This is right after this happened. This is after they praised. He said, it says, then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. When they went out in front of the armed forces, they kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah. And they were defeated. That's an incredible example of praise. You see, praise is actually humbling yourself and putting God on the throne above your thought. Putting God at the front of your mind. But I want you to know that praise isn't just a proclamation. Praise is an act of faith because guess what? They didn't have the victory until they started to praise. And I think that's why lyrics can be written like, God, I'll praise you on the mountains and I'll praise you when the mountains in my way. Because praise takes our eyes off our own problems. And it recognizes that Jesus is Lord over it all. It's written in James 4, 7. Submit to God. It's an act of praise. It's humbling yourself. Submit to God. It says, resist the devil, call him the liar that he is, and he will flee from you. So, 
when the devil comes knocking at your door, when he's arrayed with armies against you, and he says, just give up, it's not worth it. Stand boldly and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I will run my race with endurance because I know if I don't give up that I will reap the harvest. And when he comes against you and says, no one will understand, that's your own problem. You're all alone. You say, you're a liar because Jesus is my great high priest who came down off of his throne and put on human flesh. And scripture says he empathizes with all my weaknesses. And when he says you're stuck, that's been one he's been attacking me with lately. I will say, he who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. The Spirit of God is producing patience in me right now. And I may be waiting for the harvest, but he is faithful and able to do exceedingly more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. And when he says, you'll never get over this, this sin will cover you the rest of your life. You boldly proclaim that just as John the Baptist prophesied, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I am more than a conqueror. I will not be defined by this because it is finished by the work on Calvary's cross. Amen. A lexicon is a book that has a list of words for a culture. And what Josh has been talking about is that we're operating from a lexicon. And, and while he was talking, um, he was talking about that some of us have still got words in us that somebody else has spoken into us. We're operating on somebody else's lexicon. Praise is when we choose to speak the words of God into a situation. The words of God are so important. Jesus runs into a centurion, a guy who operates on a whole different lexicon. But this man realizes in a desperate situation and he needs, he needs a good word. Because he comes up to Jesus and says, my servant's sick. And, and Jesus says, well, I'll, I'll come and I'll go with you. And, and he says, no, you don't need to come. I just need you to say the word and your servant shall be healed. You know, it's so, he's like, I need something from the lexicon of God to be spoken into my life because I've been listening to the lexicon of men and the lexicon of my mistake, constantly throwing words up. While he was speaking tonight, I had an impression from God. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was silly and I think it must've been God. But what I felt I was a chair sitting in front of me with bubblegum stick to the back of stuck to the back of it. And God was saying that some of us are sitting with words stuck to the back of us. 
somebody has spoken things into us. We've allowed events in our lives to just stick a word someplace around there. And that God says he wants to speak new words into us. So we're entering into a moment of pause, a moment of prayer, and a moment of pursuit. And we're coming to, to God just like the centurion. And what I love is how he equivocates. This guy says, it is just as good for you, Jesus, to give me your word as it is for you to physically be in my house. He makes them equal. And I know a lot of us are like, well, if Jesus would just show up tonight, if Jesus, well, the word of God is here and it is alive and it is a two-edged sword and it is, it is as much Jesus being here as Jesus being here. So through the power of praise, when we, after a time of prayer, we're going to go into praise. And what we're going to do is we're going to choose words from the lexicon of God. They call it praise. They call it worship. But we're going to choose God's words, and we're going to sing them, not only to God, but we're going to sing them over our situations. But right now, as we enter into a moment of pause, a moment of prayer, and a, a moment of pursuit of the Holy Spirit, I'm inviting the elders to come up. Because sometimes we need a John or a Peter to speak that word to us when we can't find the word. And if I get you guys to come right up front, let's just make this big and sloppy and everybody together. So let me encourage you today. We're just, we're just pausing. And what we want is we don't want a word for a day like a, like a lollipop word, like a secret that you put in your mouth. We want an eternal word in our lives. We want something eternal, living, alive spoken into our lives because those are the words that God wants us to give God doesn't want us to give just some hokey positivism to the world around us he wants us to speak the words of life to other people and so right now in this moment of pause this moment of prayer this moment of pursuit let me encourage you whether it's with somebody at your seat or you come up and, and just let God's people speak his lexicon over your life. Let's allow the word of God to move in this moment together.